Welcome to this episode of Same, Same, But Different. I am your host, Claudette Lapitan. Today, we welcome Marie Burgess, who is an executive coach, a leadership trainer, and author of books, Connecting Us and The Double X Project. Marie also has a podcast, Leaders Secrets Revealed. Mari, thank you for being here today. Can you tell us about yourself and why the topic of diversity and inclusion is important to you? Hi, Claudette, and thank you for inviting me. Uh, look, diversity and inclusion has in, been important to me for a whole range of reasons. There's a couple of aspects of diversity and inclusion that I'm particularly passionate about. One is obviously gender, which is why I wrote the XX Project. And of course, the other one that um, isn't is is definitely an, an, an issue for the generally the population that I work with is the aging aspect of it so young versus old and all that sort of stuff um, but I also do work with Diversity Council uh, Australia as their Melbourne consultant so I do roll out all of their programs so I've, I do have a broad touch on all parts of diversity inclusion but those two areas are the ones that I really personally focus on. Yeah, great. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do for a living and your own career journey to get to this point? Yeah. Okay. So uh, as you said, I am a coach, I'm a trainer, I'm a facilitator. I also do speaking gigs and of course I've authored two books and there's another one on the way. Uh, and I've been doing this for a long time. I started my business in 2003 and that fell out of a, a really eclectic career which started uh, I grew up on a farm so obviously working on a farm was part of it and then I became a really old term and very inappropriate now but a girl Friday I used to work in an office in a regional town uh, almost like a gap year until I moved to Melbourne and then I did a, uh, my nursing career started from there and I did that for three years stepped out of that for 12 months and fell into finance um, so a finance company and then I that led into a bank and stuff like that so I actually never went back to to nursing uh, and then a long career in banking led me to the stage of when I had young children that I really wasn't focusing on what I really loved which was working with people so that's when I stepped away and did start my own at the time coaching business but now it has expanded to everything that it involves. Wow, yeah, so that is a very um, different, like eclectic um, path you've taken there, yeah. which I suppose arms you with everything you need to, to be able to coach all sorts of leaders. Yeah. Um, do you feel as though you've had any obstacles in your career arise because of your identity or have you seen this at play for people around you as you've developed your career? So not specifically, um, but I didn't, I also didn't drive my career. i fell into different opportunities. One role I got because I was called Mari because the person who hired me had another Mari in their team and they said to the recruiter, find me another Mari, meaning a person with this capability. Um, so again, complete fluke. And really the only, I guess, stumbling blocks are um, firstly, um, and it, was, and it wasn't a stumbling block, but it was just what was happening back then was when I was pregnant, it was like, let, let's hide this. My boss was saying, let's hide this for as long as you can because yes. we want to get that promotion for you. So that belief of if you're pregnant, you can't get promoted into another role. Um, and also when I had young children, I was working part time, which is, of course, really normal now, but quite unusual back then. And, and I had a boss who was lovely, but 
couldn't really work out what someone could do part-time. So I had bits and pieces of stuff, which was in hindsight, incredibly boring for me, but also made me realize I was doing the wrong thing. I wasn't working to my strengths. I was starting to lose sight of what my strengths were. I was pretty bored. And that's when I did make the, the jump into my own business. So it was a bit of a, um, it was a silver lining to a pretty boring and awful situation at the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I think I've actually had a similar experience. Um, I know that when I had children, I think it wasn't really the thing to, to, be able to juggle things and I think you know my manager at the time was fantastic and yes she was trying to get me casual or part-time things I could do at home but like you I, I had a similar experience and I ended up just starting my own business which was a lot more flexible around mm -hmm. my children um, but it's quite interesting because now that I'm back in the workforce I've got colleagues who are just starting to have children and I'm the one pushing them to be like well I know you're pregnant but do you I think you should go for that role still and you should still be considered for that promotion and I think it's a combination of um, just breaking down those mental barriers as well as businesses are now a bit more supportive as well um, so I think that's yeah it's even in our lifetime there's been such a drastic change in there which is really important um, now, the, I know that you're the author of two books and one of them, it's called The XX Project and it's got the subtitle, Giving Women the Skills and Confidence to Step Up in the Corporate World. What led you to writing this book in particular? So I was doing, um, I've been in my business for several years, but I was doing a stint because of the GFC, so that was a disruption to my business. So I had actually picked up a contract at a, at a bank to get some cash flow happening in my business. And uh, what I made sure of was whatever I had, and I had several contracts there, and whatever role I had, I made sure that my boss knew that I would be finding women within the organisation that I would be coaching because I wanted to keep I wanted to keep my hours up and I wanted to to keep coaching. So I used to slice out about twenty percent of my work week and and spend it on working with women. And I wanted to do that because when I first stepped into that organisation, the first thing I went to, even though it wasn't part of my role, was I went to the diversity and inclusion area and I said, I want to talk about your stats. What are your women in leadership stats like? And, they, and at the time, they were, I think, around, there was about 30% of uh, leadership, and that's general manager and above in this organisation, were women. And I said, oh, okay, so what are your targets for the next 12 months? And thinking they'd go, we want to be at 39% or something like that. And they said, oh, we want to be at 32% in, within 12 months. So 30, 31 to, to 32, oh, so wow. 1 or 2% difference. Yes. And I thought, oh, God. <laughs> and, I, and you'd see roles getting filled and people going, we haven't got any, we haven't got any women in the pipeline that are applying for these roles. And I went, right, I'm going to do something about that. So that's why I wanted to really focus on. And I'd literally walk up to people and tap them on the shoulder and I'd say, you look like you're ready, for, you're ready to step up and I can give you some free coaching to help you do that. Um, thinking that, you know, I would make the world of difference to the organisation, but it was really so large. And as it turned out, because oh, a whole range of restructures and new leadership and a new CEO and change of board and stuff like that, they actually slipped backwards and they didn't oh. even reach those targets. So, And oh, I think they're far better now. But um, mm -hmm. so I was all about creating the pipeline of women so that if a role came up, there would be women that would apply for it. 
Absolutely, Mari. That's so great. And I know that that particular circumstance, you weren't able to change an entire organization's direction. But even if you're able to make change in individuals um, yeah. and they're able to take that confidence with them um, to a different role in a different organization, it's all about that impact, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I know that when I'm speaking to leaders now, sometimes, you know, we get into a bit of a discussion about, you know, just hiring, um, you know, getting those metrics up and hire, you know, the, the, um, the argument I get is that perhaps there aren't people ready for that role that are women or diverse. Um, but what you're saying there is to preparing, looking around them and preparing people. So, okay, they're not ready now, but what are we doing in to get them ready yeah. in the future? So that's really important. And thank you for that. The, um, uh, I guess the other thing that came up at that time was a number of men that would say to me, well, that's not fair because they're going to give a woman the job anyway because they're trying to get their numbers up. <laughs> and uh, and I'd go, I just can't win. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's a ongoing battle, definitely, to shake that. Um, now, I like to talk about bridging the gap between good intentions and effective action. Uh, based on your coaching and training experience, where are individuals going wrong? Um, what are the most common mistakes that they're making? Like you're saying, they're even just dismissing the concept of, of hiring women, um, and oh, not hiring women, sorry, um, dismissing the concept of parity because um, they're not understanding the real um, impact of it. What else are we doing wrong in our organisations or as leaders? Yeah, it's it's so systemic, and there's so many things that that are creating this challenge. And I often talk about the tipping point. And and while we have the disparity of women, particularly in leadership, but generally across an organisation, then it is hard to tip those numbers up. So like we need more women in leadership to be able to get more women into leadership, if, you, if that makes sense. Definitely. Um, because, and I think, I do think this is changing, but women would get into leadership and then they've got to assume the behaviours of the other leaders around them, which was generally men. And so they were adopting more masculine energies or behaviours and stuff like that that didn't necessarily play to their strengths, but they had to do that to survive or to, to thrive or to be seen to be doing a good job. So that was one thing to go... You can be yourself. You, you, you're good enough to get to this role, be yourself. But again, culture has a lot of ways of changing how we behave. I think the other thing um, between good intentions and actually a change in behaviour is really putting, because it's almost like they need absolute processes or systems to measure what's happening because like, and unless you see it, you just think everything's okay. and But when you start measuring it, you're going, oh, that's actually not. So I think more rigorous, and I think that's happening too, more rigorous systems have to be put in place to go, well, what are we doing about um, interviewing and how do we get rid of our unconscious biases and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah, definitely. Look, your book talks a lot about actions a woman can take in order to be more purposeful in developing her career. And I think that's um, there's been a lot of focus even in, with lean-in communities of, of women kind of leaning in and, and, and having a look at where the um, obstacles lie. But what can employers do in order to create a situation where women can thrive as leaders? You know, there were things we were talking about there as to, you know, being more understanding when it comes to maternity leave and still providing opportunities when you're going through um, that 
time of life. Um, but what else can actual organizations do for women? Um, because we can't really be putting all of the um, the um, work on women, can we, yeah. for to make this change? Yeah, and look, great question. And there's a lot of organizations that do women in leadership programs that I'm a great supporter of. But I also think that creates a little alienation because it becomes them and us because we don't have all men leadership programs, although often in the past all men have been That's on leadership That's the default, programs. isn't it? <laughs> um, I, I think there has to be, I think there has to be more education around the difference in leadership styles. And I'm not saying there's a feminine style and there's a masculine style. There's a whole range of leadership styles. And it's, and it's not just understanding what our leadership style is or what we thrive and what our strengths are, but it's actually um, what are the leadership styles of the people around us. And, understand, and and I talk about this even in teams when I work with teams. Even yesterday I was talking about this with a group, which is the more you become aware of yourself, the more – and then you work out what makes you tick, what your strengths are, how you operate best. The more you can be behaviourally flexible to be what's needed for the people you're working with. And so that awareness out as well of how do other people operate. And I think, I think that is part of program. Well, it definitely is part of programs, but I don't think it is. It's, it doesn't create that second order change where people automatically go, let me take a different um, perspective on this, or let me look at this from their point of view. And I think if there's more attention from organisations to go, how do we create this perspective? How do we tap into the, the diversity of thinking that we're currently missing out on. And I'm, again, I'm not saying gender um, diversity of thinking. I'm think, talking about all sorts of different thinking, which could be from a cultural aspect or an age aspect or from a um, mental ability aspect or LGBTIQ+. So all the dimensions of diversity inclusion, yeah. we really need to focus on that. And, I, and my focus around gender is because that's the biggest cohort. We're talking about 50, 50 or more, 50.5% uh, of the population. Yeah. And, and so I see if we start getting that balance right, all of the other um, dimensions of diversity and inclusion will, will start to follow. And so while I like the idea of leadership programs, I think a focus on um, inclusion and making people feel safe at work so that they can be who they are as they operate best, then that's the focus. So I think it needs to shift a little bit from leadership, although that's still important because I think people lack leadership skills, but it has to be really saying this is how important inclusion is. Yeah. Um, now you mentioned um, that you're also, aside from the gender gap, you're looking at age. And I haven't yeah. myself delved into this, but I have seen, um, you know, some of my um, peers discussing it. Tell us a little bit more about that factor and what we yeah. need to be considering there. What so, are you coming across? Obviously, you've got the you've got the different generational divisions from millennials up to baby boomers. Um, so there's all of that aspect, but and and I don't specifically train or coach in this because. Often what I would generally coach in is around confidence and understanding your strengths. And that comes into the age factor as well. A lot of the, and I predominantly, I work with um, groups of all sorts, but my coaching is predominantly with women, which I don't purposely do, but that just ha is how it happens. And I find that the women I work with uh, range from 35 up to, you know, late 50s. 
and it's when I and so the 35 to the 50 group are pretty good you can quickly turn them around get them to focus on their confidence they understand what they need to do they're really thirsty to go yeah I'll try that when I work with the um, 50 plus I'll often get comments like but I can't leave this role because I won't get another role because of my age or um look, I'm going to be retiring in a few years. So, you know, really, why should I bother? And that makes me really cross because I think if you're working, you're working regardless of yeah. what your end point is. And I, this also applies to women who are going on parental leave or men going on parental leave, which is don't wind down because mm -hmm. you're expecting to have this 12 months off. You've got to stay absolutely focused to the fact that you've got a job and you've got to do the absolutely best you can. Yeah. And so when, and this, this, periodically comes at me when when the age factor comes in particularly the over 50 age factor where they go well I'm over 50 now it's like no you've got you've got so much more if you want to keep working you've got so much more to give and there is definitely an ageism bias towards not hiring people but I often think people go in with that belief as well so they limit themselves so, yeah, that, yeah, that's really interesting because then it's like you were saying, the issues that we're facing there are similar across the different types, different dimensions of diversity. So um, such as people going on to parental leave, you may think yourself and, be, you know, stand in your own way um, that you shouldn't go for that promotion, just as somebody who's a bit older may think the same thing, yeah. as well as having to face that um, second wham of um, there's an unconscious bias that may still exist as well as perhaps a third element I guess of processes not supporting you um, in that to, to succeed um, at that stage of life um, I've just never thought of that before what do you think companies can do because I mean I know for example with paternity leave or um, you know mat leave that the organizations that I'm working with are introducing things like check-in days where people come in and still participate even though they've got that year off um, what can you do though at the senior level if somebody yeah. is older and they've got that mentality what can we implement um, in the system side of things and processes to foster a sense of, I suppose, you know, um, ex excitement for their career still, if they are thinking, oh, I am winding down or, oh no, the, the industry's not, you know, um, seeing me in the same way anymore because I'm a certain age. Yeah. What do you think um, we can do? Uh, look, uh, so I do know some organisations do um, pre pre preparation for retirement you know, learning and stuff like that to help people, you know, start planning for, for retirement. But that's that's a little bit different to what we're talking about. We want people to stay engaged. Generally, the people that, that I'm working with, I mean, I'm not working with them uh, unless they do want to stay engaged. So it's also about its perspective again. It's making sure, because often these people are also working for younger bosses. So we, we're getting that happening more and more and more, and that will continue to grow. So it's also making sure that um, just because older people have um, years, decades more experience doesn't mean they know better. And it's mm. also that awareness as well. You know, the number of times, uh, and I haven't heard this for a long time, but I haven't also been part of a team for a long time where I actually have heard people say, don't talk to me like that. I'm old enough to be your mother. Mm. It's like, that's totally irrelevant. Again, it comes back to you. You've got a job. It's like, you're not my mother. <laughs> right? <Exactly. laughs> 
Um, and so it's also that awareness of not stereotyping people, but again, from a diversity and inclusion aspect, that that's around how do we make all people feel included? So what are the programs that organisations are doing? It's, it's almost like it's, ma it's making the importance of diversity and inclusion more important than ever because it does cover so many aspects. But when you boil it down, it comes into, do you have that diversity of thinking and do the people that work for you feel safe to be there? Yeah, that's really interesting to me. Um, when you mentioned, yeah, diversity and inclusion work is more important than ever. I, I follow a lot of things kind of in the States and in the UK. There's a lot more focus on diversity and inclusion. It's starting to rise up in Australia, but um, still gently, we're still a little bit, we still like to play safe in our organisations and, yeah. oh, no, we just, we don't see the differences. We're all the same, which is actually really that, you know, you're losing the the diversity there um, and, and not focusing on that inclusion and then people aren't set up to succeed then as their true selves. Um, so what, because you've seen a bit of change in um, your career as a coach, what, what are you starting to think about as, as diversity inclusion issues start to rise um, in organisations, as they start to become more important, not only to individuals in their career, but to actual organisations, they're looking at metrics, they're um, looking to improve it. I, I'm, I know myself, I'm talking to organisations who say, we want to improve our diversity and inclusion. And then I ask them, what, what are you looking at? What are your metrics? And they don't know. Yes. <laughs> they're asking me. So, so what are you starting to see? Yeah. Or another good question to ask those organisations is why? Why do they yes, want to improve exactly. their inclusion? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. often they don't know why. No, they don't. <laughs> they just know that there's a tick somewhere there in a report somewhere that they're not ticking. Um, yeah. And yes, the people, it's clearly important. They care about their people. And it's not, you know, saying that I'm not trying to... Um, Say, take anything away from these leaders it's just that it's a new area and it's definitely a new way of thinking um, more and more we're, we're individuals in the workplace and we're, we're fostering that rather than you know we're cogs in a wheel right yeah. so um, so yeah so what else can we what else are you seeing or starting to develop in your yeah. conversations so um, so I don't personally go out and sell diversity inclusion. I obviously roll out the Diversity um, Council Australia's um, programs. So it's it's the ideas that they provide. And there's certainly companies that totally specialise on helping organisations with their diversity and inclusion. And I think um, what I focus on is it's, as from a leadership perspective, it's more complex and more challenging to be a leader than ever before because they they just can't be who they want to be and just get on and do it the way they've always done it. They now have this team of people and now we're throwing more diversity into their team. So they could have anyone from their team who might have a physical or mental um, disability or they might be from a different culture. So English is a second language or they might have, you know, some millennials and some um, baby boomers. So they could have a whole mix and suddenly the complexity of leading that team is so much harder and so much, well, so much more complex than perhaps 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, so I think there is a more onus on leaders now and I think they have to be given more support. Now I do focus, I mean, I do work with senior leadership groups, but I generally, my, my sweet spot is middle management and their teams. 
because they're the ones that don't, often don't get funded to have one-on-one -on -one coaching or anything like that and their teams don't get supported. They're also often the leaders that might be in their first leadership role. So they've stepped up into a leadership role. They've been really good at what they did, their transactional job that they used to do, an expert in something. They've been promoted and suddenly what they were good at isn't the most important part of their role now. They've got this team to manage and they don't know how to do it. I think the focus has to move to, and I'm not saying it hasn't always had some attention, but it really has to move to how do we support these leaders? If we're really serious about diversity and inclusion and getting that diversity of thinking, how do we support these leaders to be able to cope with that? Definitely. Now, I'm, I'm always talking about there's a difference between being a manager and being good at the tasks and being a people manager or people leader. Um, there's definitely a difference there. And I'm always pushing as to how how are we supporting those people leaders? Because like you say, it's a completely different kettle of fish now being yeah. a people, uh, well, a task manager, really. Yeah. And then... Um, facing a group of leaders that you're supposed um, of, of people that you're supposed to inspire and um, you know get the most out of and they're all very very different um, so yeah definitely um, now I think we've spoken a lot about this but I usually talk about three points of impact where there's the individual and we've spoken a lot about their, that, um, the teams and how they work with each other and how they're able to um, empathise with each other really and organisations. Um, are you able to tell us maybe one more thing at these three points of impact where you would suggest all organisations implement right now? Like what can they do right now for the individual, for our teams, for our organisations in order to make effective change? Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's a little bit repetitive, but I'm going to say for the individual, it's identifying if they're a new leader, which is untapped gold in my mind because they've been promoted because they've been seen as being good at something. Do they have the necessary support, whether it's mentoring or coaching or leadership training or something like that, to make them excel in that role because they're having to use skills they don't have or have little developed? So that's, that's the individual level. Do they have the necessary resources to do their job well? Um, for the, the teams, so many times leaders either inherit dysfunctional teams or teams are dysfunctional because the leadership is terrible. There's a whole range of reasons why teams are dysfunctional. Diversity absolutely can make that worse because there's lack of understanding. So from a team's perspective, I think um, that awareness, uh, uh, building that awareness of who am I and who are you is key, which I talk about a lot in my second book, The, the Connecting Us. And then for the organisation, well, that's sort of overlaying both of those because um, if those two are addressed to help teams thrive and to help leaders thrive, organisations are going to thrive. Wow. Yeah. No, I, I get, I understand what you're saying that we're repeating kind of um, things that we've already spoken about, but I don't think, um, I think it's really important that we relay that as clearly as we can, because there are still very many organisations who aren't understanding what needs to be done. Um, and so that's really great. Thank you. Um, you have a quote in your book, uh, if you do not change direction, you may end up where you are headed by Lao Tzu. Am I pronouncing that correctly, Lao Tzu? Why is this yeah. quote important to you? Um, why is it important to future leaders? Yeah. So 
uh, I always, it's almost like the, the flip side of that quote is if you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't matter where you end up. So, and my example of that is, you, you, and you know, I'm in Melbourne, so you, you, you're getting off the plane at Tullamarine, you get into the taxi and you say to the taxi driver, I don't want to go to Essendon, I don't want to go to Dandenong, I don't want to go to Rosebud. Where do you go? Well, it really doesn't matter because you're not giving that direction. Mm-hmm. And so with this quote, if you don't change direction, because the other thing is, as I said at the start, for a lot of my career, I fell into roles with 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 luck and obviously I always worked hard but I didn't really go where do I want to go next what do I need to develop next it was very much I was literally going with the tide and so until I took that that step to go I'm I'm going to start my own business so I had to absolutely change direction then I would have just ended up in another role another role and another role and another role without really focusing on where I wanted to be so yeah. often we, we get into that comfort zone, we're heading in a direction, but we're not even aware of what direction we're going in. Yeah, wow. I think that works on both levels. Again, the, the individual, like you're saying, as you're steering your career, but the, a question that you posed earlier is to, to an organisation, why are you addressing diversity inclusion? Where are you wanting to go with that? Where yeah. are you actually headed? And then let's, you know, let's look back. Um, so that's really great. Thank you. Now, how do people learn more about you and the work you do? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, so my website, obviously, mariburgess.com, um, or, and I'm sure that'll all be in the show notes, but also um, my LinkedIn profile is probably more, re- uh, more topical and more regularly updated than, than my website. So LinkedIn is always good. Um, and people can email me, which is simply mari at mariburgess.com if anyone has a, a question. Great. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really loving being connected to you and being able to speak to you. I feel like, um, you know, we're kindred spirits. So thank you so much and um, for being here. And I hope to speak to you again soon. Thanks, Claudette. And it's a great podcast. Thanks for creating it. Thank you. Bye. Bye.